before I read the gospel, just a quick note. Um, today's a little out of the ordinary. You may see it in the in the bulletin that I'm going to actually read portion of two different gospels. Today is, of course, Reformation Sunday, uh, which um, a lot of you got the memo. I see a lot of red out there. Wonderful. And Reformation Sunday here in the Lutheran tradition and in some other traditions as well. Uh, but we really pay attention to it in celebration or in memory of when Martin Luther kicked off the, the period known as the Reformation uh, a little over 500 years ago on December, not December, October 31st uh, of 1517, when he nailed his 95 theses on the church door uh, at the, the church where he was and sparked off this, this time of change and reforming within the church. And uh, uh, we appreciated his teachings and his work so much that we named our denomination after him. And uh, so that's something that we celebrate every year. So along with that, there's an assigned set of, of gospel texts or scripture texts every year. And the, the first gospel that I will read is, is that assigned text. But for those, those traditions and those congregations that don't actually recognize Reformation Sunday, there's also the regularly uh, assigned gospel. And I'm going to read a portion of that as well. And then in the sermon, I'm going to kind of put them in conversation together. So, so today we get two short gospel lessons. I'll invite the congregation to rise. Our first gospel lesson comes from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And our second reading comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets, the gospels of the Lord. You may be seated. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Yesterday afternoon, I was uh, blessed to be at a wedding, um, and I was just a guest. I wasn't presiding, but uh, I, was, I was there for the wedding. And as the wedding started, uh, it was actually at a Catholic church, so it was a priest, and the priest talked about uh, something I think is probably f pretty familiar to most of us, and he was referencing what we hear in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we hear how uh, a man will leave his father and mother and will go and be joined to, to his wife. And so the priest was talking about that just a little bit. Uh, that was, you know, that's the setting of a wedding. That's what's going on there. And I, I kind of was thinking about that, and I liked that idea. So in this situation, um, a young man that grew up within our congregation was, was leaving his parents' house and was forming now his own home along with his, with his new wife. And that idea sort of resonated, and it sort of stuck in the back of my mind. 
That's an old idea. Of course, it comes from Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible, so that's dating back a long, long ways. But this idea of, of individuals leaving their parents' house and kind of going out to form their own home, their own house, whatever we want to call it, that's something that I think is probably pretty familiar to us. And as I was thinking about that, I started thinking back to when I experienced that. Now, in my own history, the last time I lived at home, or my parents' home, was going into my junior year of college. So I was 20, and I left mom and dad's house, and I moved off to Ames for the next couple of years. And while, of course, I was still back at, at their house for breaks or weekends or whatever, that's the last time I lived there. And in the years since, that idea that mom and dad's house, that's, that's not my home anymore. It's just not, I mean, I can always go to the house, and I'm always welcome there, but it's not home. Just life has carried me farther, and, and my home is, is elsewhere. I think this is something in our culture that just about every individual goes through, and it's usually right about that time, that young adulthood. And I'm thinking about that because actually my son is kind of in that mode right now. For those of you who aren't familiar, my son is 19. He's in his second year of college. So he went off to college a year ago or a year and a half ago. And then last summer, he was out in Colorado uh, working at Bible camp. So he was home for like a week after school let out last spring, and then he was gone all summer. Now, again, if you're not familiar, right about the time that that was going on, the remodeling project was happening over in, in the parsonage across in the house. So the work was in process when he left. And then when he got back, the work was all done. And not only was the remodeling all done, but the entire house had been painted. So you walk in, and it looks drastically different than it had when he left. And there's another situation that's added into this. From the moment he had left for school, my daughter was jonesing to move from her bedroom upstairs downstairs to his room because his room is bigger and it has a bathroom. I don't blame her. We finally let her do that. So when he got home in August, he walked into a house that looks utterly and completely different, and he didn't have his room anymore. <laughs> and he said something that I both laugh at, and it also, as a parent, makes you want to cry. He says, this isn't my house anymore. <laughs> right? Oh, turn the cranks, kid. But... He's experiencing this, this situation as, as he is, is becoming an adult and he's, he's moving from his childhood into adulthood. He's experiencing this that I think as I look around, just about everybody in this room has experienced. And if you haven't, you probably will. Mason, are you feeling that? You're about the same age as my son. Yeah, he gets it. So this idea for us that home kind of stops becoming home that's, I think, something we understand. Now, that is very contrary to what Jesus is talking about in the Gospel of John. Now, that's kind of why I wanted to bring this up, because it seems so different. He's talking about the idea of the household, which to me still sounds like home. And he says, those of us who commit sin are a slave to sin, and the slave does not have a place in the household, but the son has a place there forever. What Jesus, I think, is talking about is more of the eternal. He's talking about the future promise of the eternal that God has given to all of us through God's mercy and grace and love through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that when we cross over the barrier of death, we have been given the promise that we have a place 
in that heavenly household. I mean, Jesus also says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the promise is that I will come and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise that we hold on to and that we find hope in, that we cling to in times of trouble. And it's wonderful, but it's also somewhat abstract, isn't it? None of us know what heaven looks like. The scriptures give us little tiny glimmers, little tiny details. Jesus gives us these little tiny moments, but we don't yet know what that experience is going to be. We hope for it, and we cling to it, but it's still very abstract. And so that raises the question, what do we do now? What do we do in this moment as we hear this promise that's made for us and we feel the joy in it, and we feel the hope in it, and yet we also live in this world that's got a lot of troubles. There's a lot of troubling things going on in the world right now, and I've talked about that a lot in the last few weeks. I'm not going to delve into it deeply now, but the world has got issues, and it's hard, and we have issues. And (laughs) Okay, I think God's listening because the light just went out. We have brokenness. We have selfishness. We have those things in our lives that break the relationships that we have with God and the relationships that we have with one another. So what do we do with that now? And now this is why I included the reading from Matthew, because I think Jesus is aware of all this. And he's, as he's having this banter, this, this back and forth with this individual, this, this individual that knows the law backwards and forwards, he, Jesus is asked, teacher, what's the most important commandment? Like, I know there's 10 of them, but which one do we really have to pay attention to? And Jesus doesn't skip a beat. And I love this teaching of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Sometimes soul is in there too. With all that you are, love God. But he doesn't stop there. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets are based on this. All of the the Hebrew scriptures, all of their sacred texts point us in this direction. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, in the confirmation class, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments. In fact, we just wrapped it up this morning. And over and over and over again, I've told class after class, and I've I've said it in this sanctuary many times before too, I believe that the entirety of the Ten Commandments are summed up by this. Love God, that's commandments one through three, And then love your neighbor, that's 4 through 10. Seems really easy until we actually try to do it. None of us are perfect people. And we are all flawed because that selfish nature wins. It just does. I wish it didn't, but it does. And so in the meantime, as we strive to love God and love our neighbor, we're honest about our own failings. We're honest about the truth of our existence, that we may try, but we're never going to be able to pull it off. But thanks be to God that we don't have to. That's what is being summed up at the end of the reading that Jay read for us out of, where's he at? I don't know. Yeah, I looked for him, and he's not sitting where. What did you do with your dad? He's gone. Is he in the back? Wherever Jay's at. There he is. Okay. (laughs) I got distracted by Jay not sitting where he's supposed to be. The righteous shall live by faith. Well, faith in what? Believing that God will do what God has promised. And what God has promised is that God's grace overcomes that brokenness that is a part of every single one of us. And that promise is true right now. 
even when it doesn't feel like it. So that one day, when we cross over that barrier of death, we will experience it firsthand. That is the promise. And we will enter into that heavenly household, the household of God, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I bet we're not disappointed. So may we find hope and joy in that truth and in that promise today as we live out this moment, knowing that the promise is real and it's for all of us. Amen.